Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, it happened again. Yep, the Jazz were at home and the Jazz lost. That's three in a row at home. This makes no sense. Phoenix Suns are not a good basketball team. They're too young. They're a mediocre to poor road team. And they thrashed the Jazz. They didn't just beat them. They pulled away. They buried him. They hammered him by 20. There was a lot of stuff wrong in this game, and I don't know where to start. But you know what? We got four hours, so regardless of where I start, we'll get to your favorite point eventually. Because a lot of people have theories right now, and I think a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are true. Number one, the Jazz didn't defend a lick. And the stuff that they did wrong was so basic. It was so basic. You just have to go right to chemistry, will to win. How much do you want this? Because if you really want it, you play harder than they played last night. They didn't play very hard. Guys were just blown by him. You know, some guys are more athletic than others, and some guys are better defenders than others. But guess what? Nobody is more or less athletic than they were in January. It's February now, right? We're late February. What was today? The 25th? Uh, nobody's less or less athletic than they were or more athletic than they were in January. They're basically the same players. And it's no different than December. It's no different than before the All-Star game when they won four games in a row, beat Miami and Houston, who are both good teams, both probably going to have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, and the Jazz beat them both. They didn't get less athletic since then. So some of the takes I didn't like. You know, this team isn't athletic, blah, blah, blah. Eh, they're not perfect. They got issues. But in many cases, this is the same issues they had in November, December, January, February. Guys are as tall as they were. Guys are as quick as they were. I thought it was the want to. And for whatever reason, the Jazz didn't want to. And they didn't want to when they got down by five. And sometimes you get down by 10 and then the urgency kicks in and it didn't. And then it went to 15 and they lost by 20. 131 to 111. Three of the four quarters, the Suns scored more than 30 points. That's not okay. That's not okay. It hasn't been okay. It wasn't okay 10 years ago. It wasn't okay 20 years ago. It's not going to be okay five years from now. It's not okay. You just you can't give up points like that. It was 99-88 after three quarters. Jazz gave up 99 points in three quarters. Quinn Snyder got asked about it. Problem, what has to change? You've got to be willing to run back on defense. That goes right to the want to. Anybody can run back on defense. There were way too many Suns hoops. And the Suns' offensive numbers in this game, as you would expect when they score 131 points, were off the charts. They shot 56% for the floor. They were 49 of 87. That's a huge number. They were 12 of 20 from three, 60%. They got so many wide-open looks. They also, to their credit, shot 87.5% at the free throw line, 21 of 24. It's a clinic. But you go beyond the numbers, you watch the game. There were too many times the guy got the ball on the three-point line and just went straight to the hoop for a layup or a dunk. A layup or a dunk. Well, what do you think they're going to shoot on layups and dunks? Guys didn't used to do that. Number one, can you get around your guy? Number two, there's usually a help defender coming from one side or the other. And there's certainly going to be a big guy at the rim. Rudy Gobert is going to be trying to block your shot, right? He's going to be in there for, I don't know, three quarters of the game, 35 minutes or so. He had to play in 37 minutes in this one. He only blocked one shot. I mean, there were just issues all over the floor with lots of guys. I don't really want to give anybody a pass. Quinn Snyder was clearly looking for answers. By the end of the third quarter, he had gone way down the bench. He put Moutier in. He put Morgan in. It was like somebody 
give us a spark. He played them with Clarkson so the, and with O'Neill. So they're actually you know, fairly, fairly athletic. It didn't matter. Nothing stopped the Suns. They got it rolling. They kept it rolling. And so the Jazz get, get beat again. And for a team that's only a game and a half out of second place at the break, second place looks a thousand miles away right now. And it doesn't look like it matters whether they're the five seed or the six seed or the seven seed because playing like this, regardless of who they draw, they'll get drilled in the playoffs. <laughs> this, this isn't getting it done against the Suns in the regular season. And it's not getting it done against the Spurs in the regular season. Both games at home. Got a lot of people on our Facebook page. <laughs> PK after the game, classic. You put it up, the Jazz, WTF. And that first response was, yeah, exactly, WTF. We've got a lot of responses here coming in, and we'll get to a lot of these later in the show, but a couple of them now, a couple of the better ones right now. Steve said, completely gutless effort. This team is lazy and makes no effort on defense. I refuse to care more about the game than the players do. Yikes. You're crossing the line right there. Fans in every sport, baseball, basketball, football, they want to believe that the players care as much as they do. And when they see guys trying on defense, when they see guys diving on the floor, See guys battling for rebounds. And granted, that happens less than it used to because everybody's so busy stopping fast breaks. They're dropping three, at least three, many times four guys, sometimes all five guys back. So sometimes there isn't a battle for a rebound. It's strategic. But when there is, they want to see you guys in there scrapping. And at no point did you feel that. And the crowd didn't feel it. If you were watching the game, I was at home. Uh, Adam Mikulich covered it for Channel 2. Dave Fox was anchoring Monday and Tuesday or my days off of TV. And you tell on TV, the crowd wasn't into it. And I'm thinking, man, the crowd is so quiet, they're not into it. And then Bowler and Thurl on the broadcast. Wow, the crowd's really quiet. No one's into this. <laughs> well, how could they? The Jazz literally gave nothing to hang on to. You know, it's supposed to be a game of runs. More than ever with a three-point shot. But going back to the Stockton and Molinaire, there's supposed to be three runs in a game. You have two, the other team has one, you win the game. They have two, you only have one, they probably win the game. There's never a run by the Jazz. They got punched, they got punched harder, they took it, they took another punch, and then pretty soon the Suns were just beating them up. Dunking on Gobert, flexing and yapping and getting teased. They didn't care, they were having a good old time. They came into your building and they had a good old time. Now, we are getting some stuff here saying it's Conley's fault, they're better with favors. And, you know, Conley's not worth the $32 million. Conley's killing it, he disrupts the momentum. Here's the deal. Conley didn't play against San Antonio. It looked exactly like the Phoenix game. They weren't in it. They got drilled by a team that's four or five games out of a playoff spot, battling not to be 10 or 15 games under 500. It wasn't that different. So, listen, Conley may not have been the best move. We can debate that later, but the issues now go way beyond that. It wasn't, you know, early in the year, the starters look good, but the bench would give away leads. Like, you could focus on an issue right now. Literally, I don't know who to blame for that game last night because there's so many guys playing poorly. Everyone's got to take a hit. And how can that be? And if people are saying, I think there's a chemistry issue, it's something, um, David, zero passion right now. They're going through the motions. David, that's fair. I think that's fair. I don't think anyone can, I don't think anyone can agree or disagree with that. I think you're, uh, I think you're spot on right there. Um, Robert, were they better earlier or have they just forgotten how to play? Only the players can answer this question. And I think that's what it goes to with the people who are, um, who are saying, uh, like Randy, no heart. Um, there are people saying, uh, 
you know, the chemistry issue, our players not getting along. You know, only the players can really answer that. There's big chunks of that we don't get to see. And it's against the code to speak of it, so players aren't going to speak of it. But when you see this many guys playing poorly and you see a team this flat, hard not to consider that's a possibility. I don't know it. I can't prove it. No one's told it to me. But just the eyeball test watching the game, if that's the problem, it wouldn't shock me. I don't think it's talent. I don't think it's X's and O's. I told PK that on Sunday night I didn't on TV, and I didn't see anything in the game Monday that changed my mind. So it's not a talent thing. It's not an X's and O's. These guys are largely the same players who won 19 out of 21. They're then the same players who lost five in a row. They're then the same players who won four in a row. And now they're the same players who've lost three in a row at home, two of them to lottery teams. So this, to me, is uh, in their mind. It's a psychological issue. It's a chemistry issue. It's a heart thing. It's, uh, it's somewhere there. It's not, it's not talent. It's not X's and O's. And they got to decide. You know, we hear stuff from Gobert, and we, you know, tweeting out last year, our time is coming. And we talk, we hear Mitchell and Gobert talk about if we're going to be the team that we want to be, we got to do X, Y, Z, you know, whatever the issue is at the time. The issue right now is they got to play harder. They got to compete. They're not competing. And we've been through the, let's see what you're made of. And man, it is just a roller coaster. And the West is too good to be on a roller coaster and think it's going to pay off. I mean, everybody takes their hit. But you just have to be more consistent than that. Jazz are going to lose touch with the teams in front of them. They're going to end up on a road, lacking confidence. Because as Picano went to a shoot-around yesterday morning, as Quinn Snyder was saying, hey, momentum is real. And there are benefits to momentum. And the Jazz don't have it right now. And they're down to 25 games. They better get it pretty quickly. Because that was a really disturbing performance. All right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. Coming up. A little college basketball. Steve Cleveland joins us. He was at the BYU game where they sit now with their tournament hopes, how things are going. Uh, we'll get to that next in the best of the Jazz postgame show after that. And you'll hear Quinn Snyder and some of the players talk about what went wrong. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Join Scotty and Ann's Wednesday from noon to 3, Ken Garf, West Valley. 4175 West, 3500 South. Time to bring in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, the former BYU coach, who is in the Marriott Center for the win Saturday. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, did you storm the floor? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it did delay getting home a little bit, just trying to get out of my seat. So, but uh, no, it was it was it was just absolutely crazy. Never seen anything quite like it. Does that make all the hard work and all the stress worth it, or you're still glad you're retired? <laughs> no, you know what? Uh, I remember that place being full. In fact, there was probably a few more people when they remodeled. They took some of the seats out, and I remember what it sounded like when there was twenty-one thousand people there. It was crazy, but the, the orchestrated rock and the student section now is pretty amazing, and obviously all the upgrades to the facility. But it is a special place. I have really special memories of winning big games there and uh, what that feels like. 
But this had a special feel to it when you're playing the number two team in the country, and obviously Gonzaga has dominated the WCC for years. Uh, so to get that win uh, was something pretty special. And as you guys know, I mean, just we every bit of every team and player and coach with social media, you know, and all all social media, we, we kind of have an inside look at guys and coaches and what's going on. So that just uh, increased the exposure to the game. So it, it was a pretty special environment. There's no question about it. And uh, very, very good game. BYU obviously played really well. I don't know if redemption is the right word for T.J. Hawes, but obviously you know about the expectations, and they were so bloated to the point of probably being unfair by everybody, not just the the media, but fans and even the internal media that BYU has. They were running their mouths about it, and we're all expecting big things. And so it hasn't really happened. But with that in mind, he's just playing so well this year. How sweet is it for this kid to be able to – grind through it all, be the last of the Lone Peak guys still standing, and then playing at such a high level that you're a critical factor in getting this team these wins and getting them into the NCAA tournament. You know, I went to the shoot-around against uh, Santa Clara, and I had a chance to just spend a couple of minutes with TJ. He was was shooting free throws, and I I just went up to him and kind of shared what you just shared. I said, you know what, man, I have so much respect for you, and to see him playing this way, and I mean, I honestly, I could not be happier for anybody on that team more than I am for for TJ, and and certainly it came with lots of expectations and unrealistic expectations. I think you remember we talked about this earlier, they were flying the Final Four flag their freshman years (laughs) as if that was going to happen, and uh, it's just you know, I think there's a couple of things. One, you just go through the grind of it all your senior year. I think that he is playing so much more relaxed within himself. I think Jake Toulson being there and kind of being that alpha and being the the leader of that team uh, allowed TJ just to concentrate. Not that TJ is not a great leader, a great example, and an unbelievable human being. He is. He's all of those things. But I think Jake came in and took some responsibility to leadership that TJ didn't have to kind of carry on his shoulders by himself. He's still a significant leader on that team. But I think Toulson comes in and uh, he, he kind of just establishes himself. And for somebody that's a transfer, that's not very common, but that's just his personality type. And what's happened, I think, is that it's made TJ and in Yoli, they've just gotten really comfortable in who they are and how they play and, They've just made big plays, game in and game out. So uh, I'm happy for TJ. I also believe that the leadership of the team is better, and I think Jake Toulson provided something there that had a real calming effect. And it's not easy for a transfer to come in and immediately have an impact. I mean, you can say, well, you know, he's he's putting the numbers up, but it's more than that. And and consequently, the the culture of, of, of that team and the chemistry of that team changed when Jake got into the program and I think he had a real positive impact on TJ and of course TJ is someone that will always be beloved at BYU because of what he's kind of endured and how he's finishing. So BYU's got the three wins up at Gonzaga. They got a couple of them at the Marriott Center if I remember correctly. Can they get one in Las Vegas because Gonzaga doesn't lose very often in that tournament? Well, uh, they don't. And I, I think right now it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out because St. Mary's and Pacific are tied. 
or excuse me, Pacific's one game behind St. Mary's, but Pacific plays at LMU. And, I mean, they've, they've got two winnable games. San Diego. And St. Mary's has got to play Gonzaga still. And, uh, and, and that's not going to be easy. And they've got to go to Santa Clara, who, who's pretty solid. So it's conceivable that BYU doesn't even play St. Mary's in the semis and might play Pacific instead. And I think that would be a better matchup for BYU. So uh, both, both teams are obviously very good defensively. But uh, I, 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 you know what, it's not like it can't happen, but yeah, I think the Zaggy will still be the favorite. Uh, they, they certainly did not shoot the three ball. They shot 20% in that building, 5 for 25, and, and struggled. BYU had a lot to do with that. BYU made big baskets at home, had a huge crowd. Uh, you know, the Zags got a little disjointed, and, and, and BYU outplayed them. I mean, they just played harder and competed harder. They were tougher in the game. And uh, do that on a neutral court. It's not like BYU is going to go into that game if they play them in the finals and not have confidence they can win. But uh, I think the Zags will kind of have a chip on their shoulder as well. And, uh, you know, it, it would be really something for BYU to go in there and win that tournament. It's been a long time. So that, that would be wonderful. But I, uh, there, there's still some games to be played. And they can't get stuck on Pepperdine. Pepperdine is the one team in this conference who's played Gonzaga pretty tough at their place. And, uh so they're capable of BYU, which I cannot imagine with their coaching staff and the leadership in that team not being ready at Pepperdine. But that is, that's a game like the Santa Clara game where you've got to be really careful. You don't want to go into that tournament after a loss. Uh, they want to keep that momentum going. So being a college coach, as you know full well, is such an interesting job because you've got administration, you've got boosters, you've got casual fans. You have to deal with parents of the players, and then you got to deal with the players in that so many of these kids were stars coming out of high school, right? And that's just the way it is. And then you move up to this level, and not everybody's a star. And you find out that your role, that what you thought and what it actually is, a lot of times doesn't really jive. And then you introduce the parents again. you got to do all this stuff. And then you see guys that, well, by their sophomore year, wait a second, I'm not doing what I thought. So they leave. And that hurts your program. Maybe it benefits your program because it benefits it with the Barcelo kid that he didn't have the role that he thought. And I'm sure his dad was involved. So they leave Arizona, come here. My thought for you is what I think that is so crucial for a college coach is to get these guys to understand their roles. Majerus was a genius at it. And I think that one of the things that Pope has done is been able to get guys to understand. You take a kid like Celius. And I spoke to him last week, and I asked him about it, and he said, no, I thought I was going to have a bigger role. I thought I was going to be all that coming out of high school. Well, now he's not, but he's a senior, so he stuck through it. And then when they get to be seniors, they probably accepted their role. And you look at a kid like Celius who comes in, and he's playing like the Incredible Hulk last week against Gonzaga. And so my thought for you is how difficult is it to, for coaches to get these kids to accept this is where you are in the food chain, and if you do this, our team can be really good because it seems like Pope has done an excellent job of that. He, he has. And I, I think, too, when you're a senior and you've had different experiences, that by the time you get to that point, and having a change in a coaching staff is always going to be different and also in a very positive in certain ways. I mean, Dave was amazing there. And, but, but at the end of the day, you get a brand-new, young, energetic coaching staff that gets guys to buy into what they're capable of doing. And 
you, you do communicate that. And, and, and initially it may not be what somebody wants to hear, but I think when a, when, when a group of guys haven't quite met expectations, that they, they're, they're more prone to listen and, 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 and listen, you know, with the idea that, okay, I, I want to help this team. I, I, we do want to get to the tournament. And, and I remember being, I remember myself and Dave and, and Nate call and, uh, yeah, Heath Schroyer, you know, having a really young staff, energetic staff going into a circumstance that was n- nothing like what Mark's gone into, obviously, because this is a really, really good basketball team and there was talent there. But at the end of the day, there is enthusiasm, there is energy, and that's contagious. And I remember that where it's everything is positive. We're going to get through this. We can do this. That mentality, that mindset, the, you know, that, that makes a difference. And that's one of the things that Mark's really good at. He's a really positive, upbeat guy. And he's had a ton of experience, and his staff is that way too. And so I don't think it was that difficult for them at, based upon the circumstances and in the environment that they went into to say, hey, Zach, listen, this is what we need from you. We need 18 to 20 minutes. You're going to play some three. You're going to play some four. You're going to be guarding guys. And, and they, they, I think they accepted and embraced those roles from the very beginning. And the other thing that kind of lent itself to this chemistry is Yoli didn't play the first nine games. And, and so guys had a chance. And Dalton Nixon, I mean, here again, a guy that had been on the peripheral, you know, kind of a seventh, eighth, ninth guy. And all of a sudden, he's playing significant minutes. Zach is playing significant minutes. And they get confident. You know, guys come back, and they're all on the same page. And so it was uh, probably made a little easier due to the circumstances and environment, what had happened before. But the guys did embrace it. And you give the coaching staff all the credit in the world for letting them know what they were about and what their vision was and what they felt could happen. And uh, certainly Jake and Barcello and Yoli, I mean, it, Mark's not there. Probably these three guys aren't in that program, and we haven't experienced what this team's experienced. So it's the right guy in the right place at the right time uh, that laid out a vision and a plan. Guys were more than willing to accept it based upon the past and that they hadn't met expectations. All that self lent itself to a really, really good basketball team. So you know a little bit about this because you had a good run at BYU and there was a school out there that uh, had problems and was looking for solutions and thought, well, Steve Cleveland built BYU up from nothing. How hot is Mark Pope right now when you look at how many college basketball programs have problems and everybody inside the industry is paying attention and looking at what he's accomplished in year one at BYU? No, I mean, listen, he's got a pedigree to start with. I mean, as a player uh, in college and the NBA uh, he's got contacts all across the country. He, uh, you know, he went to BYU as an assistant coach and, and did a wonderful job there. He goes to UVU and builds that. Uh, he, he was kind of a, you know, he, he, that's who I expected, you know, BYU to hire. He, he was just a really good fit. Uh, and so, yeah, he, he is going to be someone that uh, people are going to show interest in. He gets to the tournament, wins a couple games. And, uh, but in my conversations with Mark, I think that's the last thing on his mind. I, I, I think they feel they're going to be really, really good next year. And uh, with, a, with a lot of people that maybe people don't know, but they've got size coming back. They've, they're involved with certain players. You've got guys sitting out. So uh, I think that's the last thing on Mark Pope's mind. But absolutely, that's the environment of college basketball. The guy's hot, mid-major. And I, 
You know, I, BYU, in, in the sense of being a mid-major, it, it's, it is that in terms of the basketball piece, but in terms of everything else from practice facility, you know, 8,000 students coming to games, I mean, charters. I mean, they, they got everything that every P5 school has, okay, in terms of support, in terms of the, the financial backing, uh, the, the one thing about BYU for football and basketball, they've done everything they can. I think the athletic administration, the president, and everybody that's on the board has done everything they can to give this group uh, of, of football players and basketball players an opportunity to succeed. And in basketball, you don't need you know 20 or 30 guys. You can get it done with two or three or four guys and really have an impact. But I would think that's the last thing on Mark Pope's mind, and I see him actually kind of staying here for a long time. I know things can change. But right now, he, uh, he, he's just a natural good fit, and I think his family feels really comfortable here. Things can change down the road. Don't, don't get me wrong, but uh, I think he's got a lot to do here, and he's still got a lot of season this year. This thing's not over yet. They have a chance to do something really special in the tournament. So wait a second. You're saying the big fancy practice facility with those coaches' offices that are the size of a small home versus to what you had and your assistants over there in the Marriott Center, the size of bathrooms. You're telling me it's a lot better now? Oh, my goodness. Hey, listen, what most people don't know is I shared my office with Brian Santiago, who was my administrative assistant for I knew that. You knew that. You knew that. And it was a nice office. Hey, it was way better than the office I had at Fresno City College, which was about eight by eight. I was was thrilled thrilled to have that office with a trophy case that had championship trophies in it. No, no. I mean, I, I, I was so jacked and excited to be there and to be a part of it and but I, I do remember what that felt like. And when I was, I was sitting there just watching the coaches, and I thought, man, I, that just took me back to 1997. And, and again, where we were and where they were were <clears throat> two different worlds. But we were all junior college coaches, first of all, which is unheard of. That'll never happen <clears throat> again. But we were hungry. And it, it took a while, but we were hungry, and the players were hungry, and everybody was on the same page. There was a vision and there was an energy, and, and that's kind of what Mark has right now, just with better players and a lot better facility. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, mean, I, I get where they're at. I, I, I just felt that. It was really a cool experience for me to go to that, to that uh, shoot-around because it's just, you know, I've been out of the game for seven, eight years. You know, you, 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 forget, you know you, you've been away from it, but I love going to practices. I love going to shoot-arounds and the attention to detail and just watching Mark's staff, he's got a great staff. And he won't have them forever. But right now, he's got the perfect staff in the perfect place for those guys and people that they're, that they're coaching. So um, it all works. But, yeah, my experience was a little bit different. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> Steve, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. You bet, guys. Take care. There is former BYU coach. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joins us every week here. And uh, we talked a lot of college basketball with him because what is there to say about the Jazz, right? This is the perfect time for BYU and Utah State to finish the regular season strong, perform well in the conference tournaments, get into the NCAA tournaments, and entertain us. Because the Jazz are distressing everybody, and there's too many people in this town who like basketball to have everybody go south at the same time. Obviously, Ute fans are frustrated. Obviously, Weber State fans are frustrated. Jazz fans have had some high points this season, but currently they are frustrated. So Cougars, Aggies, do your thing. 
work your magic, entertain us. We are all aboard. Bring it on. What do you got? For Utah State, it's, well, it's San Jose State. It's a totally winnable game. And then they go to the pit on the weekend, and BYU goes to Pepperdine on the weekend, and both the Aggies and the Cougars should win, but either the Aggies or the Cougars could lose. Those teams at home are good enough, they can pull an upset. You go in there and come up with a C-plus, B-minus effort, you might be in trouble. I think if the Aggies and the Cougars go on the road to their respective opponents and they show up with that uh, A effort, A-minus, A-plus, whatever, they're going to win because I think they're the better teams. But you lose your edge a little bit, I don't think they will. I think, uh, I think they'll be fine. And then they should be set up for the conference tournaments, and we'll see how that plays out. All right, DJ and PK, the Jazz. Man, <laughs> losing by 20 to the Suns at home. The Phoenix Suns hanging 131 points on the Jazz and shooting 56%. We will get to the best of the postgame show next. We'll hear Quinn Snyder talk about what went wrong, Jazz players, how it can be fixed, because it was ugly. Ugly. If you are a Jazz fan and you enjoyed that, i got to question your fandom, because there was nothing enjoyable in that. That was a beating. It was depressing. It's three in a row at home. Unhappy Jazz fans filing out of that game and turning off the radio and the TV after that game. We'll get to the best post-game show next. Stay with us. Take the Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. The Utah Jazz go down to defeat. They get beaten. They get thrashed. They get embarrassed. They get humiliated. Pick, pick any verb you want. It was ugly. The Suns roll over the Jazz by 20. They score 131 points. Jazz gave up more than 30 points in each of the last three quarters. It was 35, 37, 32. The defensive effort, not even remotely close to good enough. Time for the postgame show. Let's hear from the coach and the players about what went wrong. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Tough loss for the Jazz last night to the Phoenix Suns, 131-111. to They've now lost their third consecutive game, actually lost their third consecutive home game. Uh, we'll let you hear some uh, sound from the locker room and the podium, but defense certainly a theme as the Jazz had trouble getting stops all night long. The Suns shot 56% from the field. They shot 12 of 20 from three for 60%. Jazz got 38 points from Donovan Mitchell on 11 of 19 shooting, but little else uh, from others. Bogdanovich with 16, Clarkson with 14 coming off the bench, Rudy with 13 to go along with eight rebounds, but not enough as the Suns pull away in the second half for a big-time win over the Utah Jazz at home. Let's start things off with uh, at the podium with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Well, there's, there's certain games in the course of a season where um, – you don't play well, you lose, you know, things happen. And there's other games that when you look at are, are low point type games. And those usually involve um, more than lack of execution, but a lack of commitment to the things you need to do to win. And that's defensively, it's it's not going to be we're going to keep getting the same result if we don't um, 
focus and execute on the defensive end. You know? And this is a group that's done that. Um, but that doesn't matter right now. What that should tell us is that we're capable, at least on some level. But right now, that's not who we are. And you know, who you are is who you are now, not who you've been or what you're going to do or you know, what you can do. It's, it's what you do. And what we did tonight um, wasn't good. Obviously, that's a, an understatement on a lot of levels. What's the overall solution um, to, to what we've seen in the last three games? Well, I, I don't I don't think there's like sweeping answers that um, you just say you, you do this. You know, I, I think it starts with just a commitment to run back. As simple as that in transition, which you know, you could say protect the paint. You know, they I think they had sixty six points in the paint. But that involves that involves a lot of things. It involves you know, getting back. It involves you know pressure on the ball. It involves defending off the ball. It involves communicating. It involves rebounding. You know, it's it's not a a singular thing. You know, it's a it's a collective um, commitment to the defensive end. You know, and we weren't great in the first quarter, but we had activity. Um, we turned them over because we had some activity and that, you know, got us some points. We still gave up 27, but we didn't give up 30-plus. So, um, And we've been that team. You know, the last time, I think it's it's been, it seems like less, you know, it was last year, but it seems like a long, long time ago that, you know, we won a game in Phoenix because we defended. And we're a long way from that right now. And um, the season's not over. It's not going to end, you know, anytime soon. And we need to commit and, and correct it. Quinn, you've coached a lot of different teams in a lot of different places, but when something like this happens, what is the what is the cause? What is the course moving forward? To and, you know, how how often does it get prepared? Well, I mean, these teams go through, you know, tough stretches. Um, and you say that, and that doesn't make it, you know, you don't accept that in any way. Um, but it's, you know, to me, again, it's um, when things do happen um, and you have games like this, it's more about what you do with it. Because what's happened from a results standpoint, um, you know, we have, to, we have to own it. You know, we have to internalize it more than even more than anything. And and there has to be a different level of commitment to the defensive end. It's just got to become more important. And you're not going to be perfect, but you know you can you can try to control the things that you're actually capable of controlling. And that's a collective effort. There's Quinn Snyder after his team's tough loss to the Suns, one thirty-one to one eleven. Team needs to get focused. They know what they need to get, uh, do. They just need to go do it. Let's now move on to Donovan Mitchell. We match their intensity for maybe a quarter or a half, and then uh, it's like the pipe burst. And they just do get whatever they want, and we gotta, um, as a collective unit, we gotta come together. Um, yeah. Have all the conversations that need to be had. Been yeah, had there's nothing. There's nothing to else to say, man. There's, can't give you all a thousand reasons you know it's just we just gotta go out there and do it otherwise we'll be home in May 
you guys obviously know better than anyone what you're capable of. Is that the most frustrating thing at times like this? Yeah, you know, it's not like we haven't seen what we could be. You know, we haven't seen the chemistry and all that. So having losses like the past three especially are just like, you know, like, what are we doing? You know, we got to go out there and we got to compete. And that's, there's not one person to blame. It's, it's all of us. Uh, and not even the coaches. We got to go out there as a unit and collective. You know, they, like I think Joe said it this morning. Uh, we they can't. Coaches can't do it. You know, mm-hmm. um, we got to go out there and do it as a unit. You know, and that's not even offense. It's just defense. You know, it has nothing to do with the offensive end. Um, I think they had 121. You know, that's way too much. Um, we got to figure that out. That being said, about the coaches, it seems like this coaching staff really does go through it with you guys. Yeah, and I, I love our coaching staff, man. They they break it down every detail, and that's why it hurts a little bit because it's like you know at some point you know they can give us every answer to the exam but we got to go out there and do our own part you know and uh you know like i said you know we've had great game plans the past three games we just haven't really executed the way we needed to is there as much about the mental approach as the physical at this point i think it's a little bit of both you know we can't get satisfied when it's 62 to 62 we can't get satisfied when it's 62 to 66 against the rockets we can't get satisfied I don't know what the score is against San Antonio, but like, you know, because it comes to a point where that third quarter, you know, that third quarter used to be lethal for us. You know, there used to be a thing where we come out and, you know, it's where we make our push, you know, and it's kind of the roles are reversed. And, you know, we could sit here and just kind of look around and be like, you know, oh, we'll, you know we'll figure it out. We can make it happen. And um, we have guys that will make it happen, you know, and this is it's a tough stretch, man, but, you know, at a crucial time, but, you know, we'll figure it out. In your career up to this point, team has always been very committed to the proper mm-hmm. defensive habits consistently. Do you feel like the commitment is there, the execution is not? What, what are your thoughts kind of in that facet? I think, you know, the biggest thing for us is the mental approach. I think we want to do it. Okay. You know, we have guys who are really committed to it. Like, so I think to answer your question, yeah, I think we're committed to doing it now. We just got to show it. You know, I think it's easy for us to come here and talk to you guys after the game and say, yeah, we're, we're all committed. We're all doing this, but we got to go out there and do it. Um, and we got to, we got to, you know, we talk the talk, we got to walk the walk. You know, we go out there and we do it in spurts, and that's what's frustrating. It's like, you know, we're there, you know, and then I don't know what happens. And I, I can't give you a reason right now. I got to go back and watch the, the past two games in depth. Just like, just got to figure it out, man. Yeah, I gave up two back doors. Um, DeAndre Ayton should have fouled him under the hoop, even though we were down 19. Um, shouldn't have got, tried to get the offensive rebound, which led to Kelly Oubre's dunk. Um, fouled Ricky, um, or let Ricky go by me and get Ricky Rudy his third foul before the half. Like, I can give you a whole bunch of things that I need to do. Um, and I think we all need to do that. And I think we all will do that. Um, it's all defense. You know, it doesn't matter. How many points you score it doesn't matter. What like we we can't guard anybody. You know we got to go out there and we got to go out there and do it. You know and myself included. You know no one's excluded. No one's excluded from that. And you know I think the way uh, the way we have the guys we have in this locker room, we're gonna go in there and we're gonna we're gonna figure this out. You know and um, yeah. Thank you. I right, appreciate it. Guys, that's Donovan Mitchell. Let's go back to you. That was Donovan Mitchell. He had 38 points, but as you could hear, frustrated with his defense, the team's defense, the team's effort. Again, Donovan reiterating that they need, know what they need to do. They just need to go do it. Uh, Rudy Gobert, let's give a chance to uh, hear from him now. This team is right now. Um, that's a good question. It's a very good question. I think we still can be the, the team that we hopefully can be, you know, we just gotta just look in the mirror and see what we can do better. Why is this happening? 
<laughs> Why is that? I don't know. Why do you think? I mean, I would point to the defense first, but I why I guess why is it you guys can play defense. the defense? Why is it all of a sudden gone? Mm. I think it's just got to be who we are again. You know, I think right now it's not who we are. We we say that we worry about defense, but it's not who we are. So you know, we just gotta starts with me, you know, and then you know, all of us gotta get on the same page and go out there and you know and play as a team, especially defensively. I mean, up like defensively for the most part. You mentioned it starts with you. I asked Donovan the same question, but what are the things that you individually can can do better? Uh, every little things. You know, I gotta communicate better. I gotta, you know, uh, when my teammates get beat, I, I can foul. You know, uh, I gotta be better. Uh, they rely on me, so I gotta, you know, be who I am. Uh, I think if I fix that, you know, it's mostly we we'll be fine. Donovan said the commitment level that is there now comes down to executing and maintaining the focus that needs to be there. Do you sense the same thing while you're out there? Yeah. Yeah. What's the solution for you guys? There's some defense. That's it. Is it more is it more nuanced to that? Is it schematic or is it just effort? You know, or is it I don't know. No, it's not just that. effort. It's it's just being worried about the, the right stuff and and it's gonna be who we are. It's our identity, it's been our identity for last since since I'm here. You know, so it's since Queen got here, you know, it's been we decided to be around defense and you know, and uh, it's gonna stay who we are. I was gonna ask Rita, you are the longest tenured jazz man. Have you been through something like this with this team and, and you know how did you guys get over it? We won twenty five game my first year, so <laughs> you know, I've been through worse than that. But uh you know, every time you're about to, to go past, you know, when we have a rough time you're about to um just get together and you know go past that so you know we we had some rough times earlier this year too you know and it, I think it brought us closer together as a team so we like I said we we gotta take some time to watch film um, listen to the coaches see what they have what they think uh, listen to each other and see what we can do better Rudy do you think you're is a team mentally tough enough collectively? No, I think we can be a lot better, a lot tougher. If you want to be the team you want, if you want to be a fifth or sixth seed forever, we we tough enough. But if you want to be a championship team, we definitely not tough enough. What's your message to your teammates going forward? Well, it's a message not only to my team, it's my, to myself first. You know, we just just gotta be better, just gotta be tougher. Uh, when things go not go our way, uh, stay together, and you know we gotta in the rough moments we gotta step up even more than we do when things go well. You know we gotta keep stepping it up. But it starts with me. Guys, that's Rudy. Go back. Let's go back to you.
That was Rudy Gobert. Uh, he had 13 points and eight rebounds. And uh, strange for Rudy, after some questions, a little bit of a loss for words. And you can tell he's looking for action as well. Uh, the Jazz lose to the Suns, 131-111. to 111. Next broadcast coming up tomorrow night. It's an 8.30 game. The Boston Celtics are in town. Uh, the pregame will begin at 7.30. Well, there's the best of the Jazz postgame show. Now, the Jazz have lost three in a row at home. And two of them to lottery teams, and here come the Celtics who are good. So, you know, the interesting thing is, I think the Jazz in these last, what, 12 quarters now have probably played four good quarters. I thought there was nothing good about the San Antonio game. Third quarter against Houston was horrific, but I thought the rest of the game was actually pretty good. Uh, and I thought the first quarter against Phoenix was okay. It was all right. You know, it was a B, B plus. one great. It was pretty good. They're up 35-27. They're going to run, made some shots. 27, you know, in this era, the way teams are scoring, that's not a number and a quarter that scares you, especially with the Jazz firepower. But after that, brutal. So for the Jazz, four good quarters out of 12, but three of them were against a good team. And I don't know what they're going to hang their hat on. Maybe the Celtics will bring out the best of them. And the guys who are left from the Hayward era, Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert, can be upset about that and uh, see how that plays out. All right, DJ and PK. What is trending? Coming up next, we'll get to the headlines. Stay with us.